The Growing Destinations podcast is brought to you by Experience Rochester. Learn more about Minnesota's third largest city, which is home to Mayo Clinic and features wonderful recreational and entertainment opportunities by visiting experiencerochestermn.com. I think it's incredibly important. Just look around us everywhere. There's, there's music, you know, live music, I think is sort of the, the ultimate experience. But I mean, you can't go anywhere without hearing music. The gas station, the TV commercial, anywhere you are, there's music. And I think whether we realize it or not, it's, a, it's hugely important. Welcome to the Growing Destinations podcast, where we take a deep dive into destination development and focus on a wide range of topics from tourism and entertainment to economic development and entrepreneurism and much more. I'm your host, Bill Von Bank. You're listening to the musical stylings of Luke Hendrickson, a musician from Rochester, Minnesota. The four-time Midwest Country Music Awards nominee shares his story as a self-taught musician. He writes his own music and since 2020 has released two full-length albums. With the pandemic hopefully behind him, Luke says it's full speed ahead with his musical career. Luke Hendrickson, welcome to the Growing Destinations podcast. Hi, thank you, Bill. Luke, can you share with us a bit about yourself and your musical journey? Uh, I've been playing music actively since I was a teenager, 17, so over, how how long ago was that? (laughs) 21 years. I grew up with records in the house. My family wasn't musicians, but there was tons of tons of records, and I got to, I was taught how to spin the Put the record on the turntable from a very young age. Learned how to listen to the, the new, vinyl records, the vinyl records, not yeah. CDs. Correct, <laughs> correct. Mom still got a collection, thousands of records. So, and they were popular again. They are. Well, <laughs> now I got to buy them, you know, and sell them at my shows. So, <laughs> but yeah, so I learned to really, you know, dig in and appreciate the nuances of all the, of all different kinds of music and stuff that was that my friends didn't know about and stuff that wasn't on the radio and became a heavy rock and roll heavy metal kid as a teenager. And that's when I started, that's what I started to learn how to play bass guitar. I thought it was cool, long neck, big fat strings. I kind of got a kick out of it and uh, tried to play all the bands that I liked to, to listen to Metallica and ACDC and Megadeth and all that stuff. Over time that morphed into um, playing in actual bands and then meeting other people who had other influences. And for instance, drummer in a heavy metal band I was in, his father played lead guitar and country bands for his whole life. So he had this whole range of older country music influences, which I had coincidentally started latching onto on my own. And we started just him and I getting together after our band practice, we'd get together and I would put down the bass and I would start singing and he would put down the drums and strum a guitar. And I figured out that I always liked to sing. I sang in choir in high school and stuff like that, but I had never really tried to sing country music or, or sing much of anything really. So you transitioned from hard rock to country? More or less. I mean, I still listen to all kinds of stuff and I probably metal is probably still what I listen to the most in my personal life, but I really latched on to the old country sounds. And then him and I started like a cover band of uh, old school country music that we had here in town for seven or eight years. And this is all in Rochester, Minnesota. You grew up here. I grew up down in Moore County. So I went to, I graduated. In Minnesota. Yeah. I graduated from Leroy Ostrander high school, 40 miles South of here. South of Rochester. Yeah. Just right on the Iowa border. But yeah, this was, I moved to Rochester in like 2005, worked at IBM for a long time in the warehouse and stuff. And when that fizzled out, I did some other stuff and I've been doing music full time for a number of years now. We started a kind of a classic country cover band that did pretty well in town for a long time, county fairs and the bars and all that kind of stuff. 
Were you self-taught with the guitar, or did you take yeah. lessons? No, I never have. Oh, really? Yeah. And how about your music? Do you write your own music? Yeah. Yeah. Because of being in this cover band for so long, I have a pretty huge collection of songs that I can... It made it a lot easier to kind of switch to full-time. But it, the writing of my own songs is what got me out of that, because if you're, do, if you're doing the county fair or the, or the bar band type of thing, it's hard to push your own songs, you know? People want to hear the songs that they want to dance to and they're already familiar with. If we fast forward to today, are you still in the cover band no. or are you strictly Luke Hendrickson? Yeah, strictly. It's under my own name. Now. Okay. Yeah. Has been for, for a while, since probably 17. So you have a couple albums out? Yep. Can you talk about those? Yeah, I have a couple albums that started out with, I had just maybe a handful of songs that after I decided to start actually doing this full time and try to pursue it more and, and travel and all this, I thought, well, I got to have something to sell. I've got to have something to present. So I just went to a friend's basement, recorded five songs, one take, put it down, got it on a CD and started selling that. And that was your first effort under, yeah. under Luke Hendricks, correct musician. Yeah. And that was like May of 2018 that I think that came out. And that was after playing around by myself for about a year. And then since then, yeah, or after that, I started writing more. I got, I recorded a full-length album, and then that came out in February 2020, which was a pretty terrible time to put out an album. In hindsight, just, who would have known? You know? Just prior to yeah. the coronavirus. Yeah, I had a huge tour schedule lined up and lost about, I think, I can't remember, like 90 or something gigs I had on the calendar <laughs> that wow. all just went away. But some positive activity because of that album was you were nominated for for Midwest Country Music Awards, correct? That did come out of it, yeah. Yeah, I became part of that organization at some point. It must have been early 2020. And uh, yeah, so that album, One Night at the Crystal Lounge, that's the first one, the full length. And that came out in February. Not much happened. I wrote another album. That came out in October of 2021. And so the award ceremony for that Midwest Country organization kind of was put on hold. And so they, they allowed two years' worth oh, of both. album entries. So you had two album to entries, be, your first two. Yeah, and I believe what I was, at least the album stuff I was nominated for was for the first album. And then there was a couple other awards that were more general. But It's got to be pretty exciting to, to, to have those nominations as it was really cool. just coming out with your first two albums. Yeah, it was unexpected, completely unexpected. Yeah, it was neat. I got to go up to that award show and put on a suit and, and a bit different than my normal jam, but it was fun. <laughs> Who are your musical influences? There's so many. Yeah, there's so many. How about uh, how about specific to the country genre? Sure. Let's just start. Let's start there. Yeah, for me, my favorites have always been the, the real the songwriters: Merle Haggard, Tom T. Hall, Johnny Cash, Hank Williams. Going going way back. Classics. Classics. And I happened <laughs> to see you perform live. It was January of this year, 2022. You performed. Uh, you opening for the Haggard brothers, yeah. Ben and Noel Haggard, the sons of the legendary late great Merle Haggard. What kind of experience was that? Because you sounded great, you, man. You got pipes. <laughs> Thank you. That room made it really easy at Presentation it. Hall in Mayo Civic Center. Incredible. Yes, the Presentation Hall. Incredible. People ask if I get nervous nowadays, and I don't really wrestle with that too much anymore. I'm pretty used to just going out and singing what I want to, you know, what I want to sing. But when I got up on that stage earlier in the day for sound check and I saw that Fender, <laughs> that Telecaster sitting there, I'm pretty darn sure that that was Merle's Telecaster that Ben was playing. Cause I've seen some pictures of it. It had some etchings into it. And I thought, 
okay, <laughs> this is wild. This is wild because that's an iconic guitar. And isn't it Merle's longtime band that was with them that night too? Uh, or partially, okay. partially anyways. His son, Ben, did play in his band for a, quite at a while. At a very young age. I got to see Merle about a year before he died. Ben was in the band then. And then from what I understand, I think it was the saxophone player that he had with and the bassist I think had played with Merle in a later incarnation of his band. This is a full-time gig for you. Yes. Tell us about that. Cause it, it's, I mean, that's gotta be a lot of work to make a living all over the place. So give us kind of the perspective. Yeah. I mean, it is a lot of work, but it's, and there's more things that go into it than just, it's easy to go. Yeah. I like to sing and, and play guitar. So it's, uh, it's just, I'm just goofing around. I'm just doing what I like, but when you decide to just go all in and be your own booking person and your own publicist and your own everything driver. So you do it all. Yeah, I do. And um, it is a lot of work, but uh, so far I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's worked out for our family. Get to make my own schedule, get to spend a lot of time with the kids during the day. Cause mama works at night. It's been very rewarding. I love the travel. You know, it's, it's kind of a no brainer. You have a young family. Yes. Do they go with you on gigs? Sometimes they get to go to gigs if they're, you know, fairly local, but uh, if I'm traveling, not yet, it would be ideal to maybe get a, get some sort of a RV or a bus or something and take everybody with, but it's just not practical right now, money-wise and all that stuff. How do you balance being a full-time entertainer and with a young family? I will go out on tour for a couple of weeks here and there, and that that is kind of the hardest part. But for the most part, I may be doing long weekends or just like some one-offs here and there, and I'm home at night. And I've been stay-at-home dad. I've had the pleasure of doing that since six years now. So I've I've gotten so much time with the, with my girls, and it's just it's just worked out. I mean, this is something I quote unquote need to do. Everybody understands that. My wife has her own interests and hobbies that I support, and we work around each other's schedules, and we're just making it work. Home base is Rochester. Where are your performances? Uh, do you? tend to keep them fairly local, upper Midwest, or are you all over the place? Well, I'm all over the place in general. I mean, for the most part, upper Midwest is kind of is the wheelhouse for sure. But so far, by my last count, I've played, I think, 32 states and uh, three Canadian provinces. We talked a little bit earlier about the coronavirus pandemic, and you had just released an album yeah. just before that hit. But how has it been being an entertainer and trying to perform and trying to make money at your craft the last couple years? Well, initially it was, it was extremely difficult. It all went away for most people in most (laughs) fields. I think entertainment for what February through basically all of 2020. I think once it got to the summertime of 2020, I had a few outdoor things, but then the winter came again and there was just nothing. Nobody was, I wasn't feeling too good about even really going too many places. And a lot of folks weren't making money folks that I rely on for work, you know, they rely on people coming in to spend money and buy right. food and drinks. And so mm-hmm. if they can, if they're not making money, they can't justify paying me. That was tough. But I guess about a year now, probably late spring of last year, people started trying stuff out again. And it's been pretty full steam ahead. It seems like making up for lost time. Are, are a lot of entertainers are. And, and then the consumer on the consumer side, everybody wants to be entertained. And the live music is so impactful. And in Minnesota, because summers are so short, those summer concerts. Oh yeah, just it's awesome experience. It's it's palpable for sure. The 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 enthusiasm and like you said, the the desire and the hunger for 
the music and the entertainment, and I can see it almost everywhere I go. Do you have favorite places to perform at? Oh, sure. Yeah, there's been some, a lot of repeat, what would I say, clients or <laughs> repeat offenders. Sure. <laughs> Any fun stories from the road that you can share? Oh, I have, I have fun everywhere I go. I just love seeing new places. There's a lot of fun stuff. I mean, it depends on what you want to talk about. Uh, Keep it clean. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I don't. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I don't, no, you're fine. I don't get too wild anymore these days. Gosh, have you ever been down to uh, the Salton Sea? Where's that? Southern, far Southern California. I have not. Like far, like, southeast of, like, say, Los Angeles and south, like, Joshua Tree and all that stuff. Okay. There's this um, inland sea that's been there, and it's sort of, I think it's evaporating, and it's not doing so good with the drought and everything. But back in, like, the 50s and 60s, it was this huge hub of celebrity hangout and stuff, water skiing, and it was this beautiful area. They had bars, restaurants, lodges. Frank Sinatra, you know, everybody was hanging out there and it's since dried up and uh, it's like a huge, weird sulfur smell and it's not clean air, but there's one little community that's sort of hanging on and it's called Bombay beach. It's really interesting, odd town in that it's just a little grid. It's like maybe a mile by a mile, but all throughout this town and these yards, it's just, it's turned into this sort of weird art artist sort of hangout Mecca Thing. And there's these sculptures and graveyard of cars made to look into a movie theater. And there's, I can't explain it without you having seeing it, but if you get a chance, go. Just for instance, some of the people I meet, like I was there, I played this gig and I thought, what a strange place. It was just dust in the air and this weird spot and people driving ATVs all over the place. And it's just, they say the water's terrible and there's dead, there's fish kills all the time because the salt content is so high because the water's evaporating. Anyways, I get done with my gig that night and I sit and talk to some people who said, I did, loved your stuff. Thanks. And it was this fellow who had like a German accent. I said, what do you, you know, what's your story? Because that's always interesting. And he's yeah. somebody who's like a college professor and, and bought a home for like 10,000 bucks in this town because nobody wants to live there. And now he's vacations there and studies. He's, he goes around the world and studies like ecological disasters and things like that. He ended up giving me and my touring partner at the time a tour of this little town and all of the artists sort of spots at two in the morning. We just walked around, you know, beer in hand. And he was so enthusiastic. And this, so here I am into Southern California in the desert by this stinky lake with this German guy giving me the whole rundown history. And just stuff like that happens that you don't expect. You always meet crazy, crazy people and crazy inspiring people. What's on the horizon for you as a musician? That's always a good question. Kind of never really know unless you're actively working on like an album or, or something like that, which I'm not currently. I mean, this new one just came out, I guess, I guess it's about six months ago now. So Can I'm you just, tell us about your new album? It's the title is A Place to Call Our Own. Yeah. This one is uh, it's more folky. Like the first album was, was, was pretty heavy on the electric guitar and, and pretty country for the most part up-tempo a lot of it with a couple exceptions and this this next one here is a little bit more somber a little bit more artsy singer songwriting folky more folky it's more of a a concept conceptual sort of album in that i kind of intended to tell like a narrate a story throughout the whole thing more personal i'm really proud of it deals with kind of if it starts one end to the other childhood small child transition growing up to where I am now, where I have wife and family. 
So I, I meant it to be listened to all the way through and kind of absorbed that way. Luke, you have both of your albums on vinyl records, <laughs> and they've obviously made a comeback. The big sales of vinyl records, you see it with musicians like Taylor Swift and Harry Styles mm-hmm. at the big national level. But tell us about the the cool factor of vinyl records and, and why you decided to go down that route as well. Well, I decided to because I could tell that people wanted them. I like them. I listen to them at home. I still collect them. Uh, there was a time when that wasn't happening, you know, when you could still find them for 50 cents at the thrift store, but that that's gone. <laughs> and so gone. it's like people are buying these things. I should try to get some too. I'd love to hear my music on vinyl. Why not? Um, the first record I did it, it's still very expensive. It's an expensive process. It's uh, use a lot of material. It's a, it's a long process. So the first record I did, I barely it, don't make any money on it. You know, I just got them just to get them. And now two years later, when I make the new one, it got, I found some, there's a little more competition now, a few more places that are pressing them. And so I was able to get a little better price on them. And yeah, the turnaround on them is, is pretty insane because like you said, the Taylor Swift's and the, because the vinyl has gotten so popular and people want them. Like I, I think the example I read was Adele. She had put an order out or her record company did for like whatever it was, some huge number, 500,000, a million, whatever copies on vinyl. So that takes up, they contract that out to like, I don't know how many different record pressing plants. And that puts Which all are probably them. less than they used to have back sure. 20 years ago. Yeah. And then that puts our, me who's ordering a hundred to 200 at a time, that mm-hmm. puts my stuff way on the back burner, sure. you know, and everybody else. So it's good, but it's it's a little frustrating too because now I'm about I'm out of this one and I have like I don't know ten left of my second album and now it's like then I worry about I got to buy a new batch but it'll take a year to get them probably. The process with vinyl, it's also the 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 jacket and the art and yeah. How big of a deal is that to you to to find the right piece of artwork to to tell your story? Oh, it's so important. And it's, I think it's what a huge part of, aside from the, the sound of the vinyl, the nice warm sound, it's also that everything is so big and blown up. If you're used to CDs or cassettes or even just looking at, you can say, Amazon or Spotify, you know, it's tiny. These records, you know, everything's in huge detail. You can pull it out, maybe the lyric sheet's in there. Uh, as far as the art, for myself, I've used all friends of mine. Most of my artwork, like the cover of A Place to Call Our Own, was all... Uh, my sister-in-law, Jess, Jess Bruss, she's a tattoo artist out in Sioux Falls. And she drew this to the back cover of, of my Crystal Lounge album. That's a hand drawing. And she's done other stuff for me. And so I try to use, and then this is a, a gal named Amy Dibbing, who's in town. If in Rochester? Like, yeah, if you go to like Brothers Bar or Forager, any number of places, if you see chalk art, like go to Forager and the whole menu board is all written in chalk. That's Amy. Oh, that's very so I try cool. to use other small-time artists, too help them out and promote them. So that's, it's made the art side of it too, the, the jacket and the sleeve and all that stuff, even more important to me. Through your music, you support a nonprofit called Project Legacy. Tell us more about that program. Yeah, it's a program that basically they help provide help to at-risk youth and teens, folks who have experienced homelessness and just maybe broken homes type of situations. They help uh, provide support and get them you know, education, job placement, mental health services, just helping them become involved in community, stuff like that. I've read the testimonials, you know, and, and followed them online and they're doing good work, you know, plant gardens and take field trips and, and really have, have, have put kids through college. So I was happy as heck to do that. And I had been kind of wanting to do something like that just to try to get involved with some sort of local organization, 
what you've done is you've recorded a song yeah. and the download support Project Legacy. Correct. Sort of in the wake of all the crazy stuff that happened, you know, with George Floyd and all that, this organization was seeing a big, a big boost of attention, you know. Yeah, and there's a song, a Tracy Chapman song that I've always loved from her first album that I thought, God, this is just so appropriate for what's going on, which is racial tensions and things like that and highlighting the importance of the children. And uh, so I thought, well, if, what if I put a folky country sort of spin on this sort of song that I, that I love anyways, that I otherwise wouldn't, I didn't grow up in that sort of in a racial tumultuous time or anything. So I think if I tried to write my own song about that, it, I don't know if it would stick or if I'm in the place where I could. So I thought, well, this song is already written. I'll put my own spin on it. The, the studio carpet booth, they gave me a huge break on it because it was for chair, you know, for this organization. And then, yeah, so far I've made a little bit of money for them. It's been great. I got a great response to that. Yeah, I listened to it. It's, it sounds great. Thank you. It's uh, a bit different than everything else I've done, but I'm really proud of the way it turned out. As a songwriter, are there certain influences for you to help you with your songwriting? Probably. <laughs> or, or maybe talk us through the process of, how, of songwriting. Sure. What I do know is that I, I haven't really nailed down, or I don't know if I'm meant to have nailed down a certain process. I found that if I try to force songwriting that it doesn't really happen i've never been able to go you know what i'm gonna sit down and write a couple songs today i i've had no luck with that (laughs) mindset i've kind of found that if i'm reading more books if i'm absorbing more words in that way as opposed to listening to music i'm I'm kind of more productive usually it just starts with a phrase maybe a couple words or a phrase and i'll write it down and if I can get a couple more words out of that until it turns a phrase into a couple sentences or a paragraph, then usually I can start to hear a melody, you know, and just start to build it off of that. Is there a certain time length it takes from beginning to end, or is it every song just so different? It it's absolutely varies. It's taken months. It's taken, I got basically a whole song written, but there's, and it's missing something. I don't know what it is, so you just sit it there, and once in a while you look at it, and, and it might take months. But sometimes I've written it start to finish in, you know, half an hour or something. It just depends. How important is live music, arts and culture in general, to help maintain strong communities? I think it's incredibly important. Just look around us. Everywhere there's music. You know, live music, I think, is sort of the the ultimate experience. But, I mean, you can't go anywhere without hearing music. The gas station, the TV commercial, anywhere you are, there's music. And I think whether we realize it or not, it's it's hugely important. From being on this behind the microphone end of it, you can see people's sort of cares slip away sometimes and they go, oh, I didn't know this was happening. Say you're doing an outdoor thing at Peace Plaza or whatever, and people are just on their lunch break or maybe leaving an appointment at Mayo and they walk outside and, you know, you, you can just tell. I know it's important for me, so I've always assumed that it was important for others. And uh, I think it's becoming more and more so. And people are realizing that. Before we wrap this conversation, who would you like to perform with? What other musician or currently performing, who would you just love to get on stage with and jam with? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, so for me, God, I'd probably have to pick maybe some some super hot guitarist or something like that, because cause that for me, that's what I sing and play rhythm guitar. I'm not much of a lead player or anything like that. So I like to find folks to jam with who are really just exceptional at their instruments, you know, who I can just lay the rhythm down, sing my songs, and they can just add all the color on top. Billy Strings. I don't know if you listen to Billy Strings, great bluegrass player. God, that guy could play anything. Marcus King, country, country, Vince Gill. Vince Gill, I'd love to hear him sing some harmonies over my stuff and maybe. Uh, he's so talented. He's 
It's crazy <laughs> how good he is. Albert Lee, any, any of those folks who are just the master of their crafts, you know? Well, it sounds like you're, you're mastering the craft in real time here in Rochester, Minnesota. Luke Hendrickson, thanks for your time today. Oh, thanks, Bill. Keep making amazing music and best wishes. I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you so much. You as well. Thank you for tuning in to the Growing Destinations podcast. And don't forget to subscribe. This podcast is brought to you by Experience Rochester. Find out more about Rochester, Minnesota and its growing arts and culture scene, its international culinary flavors, and award-winning craft beer by visiting experiencerochestermn.com. See you.